Acts 8, verse 26 to 40, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kondake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be with you all this morning. Hope you're doing well and that you've enjoyed uh, maybe what's the the best streak of three-day weather we could imagine. So, um, yeah, uh, it's good to be with you. This passage that was read for us uh, this morning is a passage, I, I mean, I think it's just truly a remarkable story. The example of Philip is an amazing instance of encounter, obedience, revelation, transformation of faithfully speaking the good news of Jesus. Like there, There's so much going on here that's kind of worth being wowed by. But I think I need to show my hand kind of early on where I intend to go with this this morning. I want to talk for us this morning about the necessary importance of evangelism. But I'm very mindful that that word is not a fun word for many of us. In fact, it's more likely a scary word, an idea that has gone sour, or maybe even a term that has caused some deep wounds. And of course, to talk about evangelism carries the connotation of being evangelical. And especially right now, I know a number of us do not want to tread anywhere close to being associated with a particular expression of evangelicalism. But, and this is a very large but, in this cultural moment, we have to talk about what it means to talk about Jesus. Our hope in Jesus desperately needs to be made real in these days, and we've got to learn how to talk about that hope. I think as I reflected on this, um, this, this would be a sort of confession for myself. 
I think it's to my regret that with us, St. Clair, I, and this is me speaking of my own, um, I too often have sidestepped the importance of talking about Jesus with those who don't know Jesus. And if I'm really honest about that, I think it's because I'm not very good at it myself. When I look at my life, I've, I've had a lot of moments, too many moments of being timid, of being shy, reluctant, or even sometimes embarrassed, rather than being sure and confident to speak openly and bold about Jesus with people outside of the context of the church. And I wonder if I'm not alone in my experience. Can you relate? If we're going to reimagine the church and see the kind of things that the early church saw, we have to take a hard look at the gospel in our own lives. Do we actually believe the good news of Jesus has the power to change our life and the world? Do we believe the good news is really as good as it says it is? Or have we settled for a kind of gospel that is a do better, try harder, get some forgiveness when you need it, and just try not to be like everyone else. That gospel probably isn't worth sharing. So let's look at Acts 8 and and, um, sort of settle into this story, this passage a little bit more. In Acts 8, Stephen has just, just before Acts 8, Stephen has just been martyred at the oversight of Saul. And in verse one of chapter eight, it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. The apostles, they were able to stay in Jerusalem, but all the other disciples were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's very interesting to know because Luke, who is the author of of Acts, is connecting the dots to remind us of Jesus's words in Acts chapter one, verse eight where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now later in the same chapter, chapter 8, Philip is being a witness to an African from Ethiopia, and commentators note that Jews in that day considered Ethiopia the extreme boundary of the habitable world in the hot south. So right, right here in one, in one chapter, we are getting a glimpse, a snapshot of Jesus' words being fulfilled, and the, it's the catalyst for such a significant moment in the church was persecution. It was immense hardship that caused the good news of Jesus to go out and to find root in new places that it had not known before. And so in Acts 8, 26 to 40, as Justin had read for us, we now have the interaction of Philip with the Ethiopian. Luke, who is also the author of the Gospel of His Namesake, seems to draw what I think is an interesting allusion to a familiar encounter in Luke 24. See if you can recognize the road to Emmaus in this story. A stranger joins someone traveling down the road, 
already immersed in conversation and thought, unable to make sense of the Messiah. The scriptures are open to them to understand. They take part in a sacramental act. In Luke, it's communion, and here it's baptism. And then Philip, like Jesus, disappears. Like, this is wild and remarkable. And though the the encounter with Philip in Acts 8 is bookended with this miraculous work of an angel showing up and saying, just go down that desert road, and then the Spirit speaking again, and then the Spirit sweeping Philip away. But if if you look at the center of what is going on and the interaction between Philip and this Ethiopian, at the heart of what takes place, is actually incredibly simple. It's just a conversation. Where Philip's ministry in Samaria and the verses that that lead up to this in Acts 8 describe that his preaching of the good news in Samaria was characterized by miracles of all kinds of signs and wonders that came in that place with telling the good news. The actual conversion of the Ethiopian had no miracle. It had no sign. It had no wonder attached to it. It was simply Jesus being revealed through scripture and someone believing it. In the Ethiopian, we see someone who is ready, receptive to hear the good news of Jesus. The Ethiopian helps demonstrate us the notion, the person of peace. It's what Jesus referred to and described in Matthew 10 when he sent out his disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and has come near and to look for those that welcome them and their message with peace. That there would be people of peace out there that welcome them with peace. And in Philip, we see someone who is eager to be obedient and ready to share what he knew. I think the challenge of evangelism becomes very a very daunting task when we get caught in comparing our life with the bigger, better version of someone else's. Like it would be easy to compare to Philip and to say, well, I, I'm, I don't think Like, I'm not that. I don't know the Bible like that. I don't talk to strangers like that. God wouldn't speak to me like that. I will never be that. And I think when everything gets evaluated by comparison, some of us actually start to downplay or discount our own story because we don't think it's as dramatic and it's dramatic enough or impressive enough that we've never heard the audible voice of God, or we weren't on hard drugs before we came to Jesus, and then everything turned around. And so we we may start to think that our, somehow our story counts less and then isn't worth sharing. But I would like you to know this. God is not ashamed of your story. He is the author of it. So don't easily discredit him. I uh, came across these words from Spurgeon, um, Charles Spurgeon, and I I found them very helpful. Um, Thinking about what it is to know God's work that's unique to us and not compared to someone else. He says this, be true 
to truth as it comes to you. If God gives you only a common candlelight, make good use of it. Instead of complaining that you have no more light, make good use of what you have. Many groan over their inabilities, and yet they have never gone to the end of their abilities. This is sheer hypocrisy. In the words of Spurgeon, maybe we need to give ourselves permission not to carry all the pressure of what we don't know, but live with more conviction into what we actually do know. And what I'd like to offer us, maybe sort of challenge it with us, is this. To know what you know, to say what you know, and to live what you know. So here, here's what I mean. Know what you know. Apply yourself to understanding what you know. If your experience of God has been marked by grace, then give good thought to how that grace has brought change in your life. If the way God has made himself known to you is through love, then consider well the ways that you can love others the way that God has loved you. Live a thoughtful life. Give space to reflect on who God has been to you and how then you can make God known in the world through your very own life. Think critically, not passively, about the implications of your faith for your life and for the life of the world. In whatever way that you are able, let that experience of God be informed by Scripture. The Scripture would help root and deepen your experiential knowledge of God. Maybe it's as simple as having a book in the Bible that you just get well acquainted with. Or a verse, or maybe it's, it's a life verse that you keep close at your side that can constantly remind you why you believe what you believe. We aren't all going to be Phillips who can open anyone's scripture and just deliver the good news and go bang, there it is. And you know what? That's, that's okay. But it is important that we apply ourselves to know what we know, even if it's a little. Spurgeon uh, says this again, and I, I really like this as well. He says, Ah, oh, my brothers, you and I have need to understand the Bible. I will suppose you read it. Let me hope that I'm not mistaken. But when you read it, do labor above all things to understand it. The book was written to be understood. And he goes on to say this. I heard a person say once that they read the Bible six through six times on his knees in search of trying to understand a particular doctrine. And I said, brother, that is an awkward position to read the Bible. You should have sat upon a chair and studied it in an easy posture. You should not have galloped through it, racing over the chapters, but rather read a little at a time and just try to understand it. So know what you know, say what you know. I think we, we all speak the things that matter most to us. Let me give an example. Parents will know what I'm referring to with this. If your kids have discovered something new, you know that that thing is going to become their world and it's all you're going to hear about for a time. When my nephews found out about superheroes, 
Every situation got turned into good versus bad, hero versus bad guy. It's all they wanted to talk about. Ironically, they had never watched a Marvel movie or even opened a comic book, but somehow they knew about superheroes and they were so enthralled by it. It, it didn't matter how much or how little they knew. Regardless, they were just going to tell me about it because it was something that mattered to them. I think some of us may avoid speaking about Jesus because we don't think we know enough. Or perhaps we've been put off by those who think they know it all, and so we don't want to run the risk of going there, and we just don't say anything at all. In many cases, though, we speak freely and passionately about great many other things because they are issues that matter to us. Yet when it comes to speaking about Jesus, kind of retreat and hide. Talking about our faith becomes a clumsy affair because we don't really know what to say. And truthfully, I wonder if too many of us give half-hearted answers because we're only living half-hearted lives. We are simply asked to be faithful to what we know and to speak that whatever it is. Don't look to regurgitate someone else's thing. Say what you know. Speak with boldness and humility to whatever it is God has been to you. Someone else needs to hear your story in your words. 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us that God is making his appeal through our life. And we need to speak words of truth and life Very simply, because people need to hear it. So know what you know, say what you know, and live what you know. Let your life be living proof of what you think and what you say. May your life lived be the integration of what you know and what you speak. That there would be this integrity to your faith, this wholeness of how you live Just as Spurgeon said, be true to truth as it comes to you. Take the light that has been given to you and make good use of it. Give yourself fully to what matters most. Go to the end of your abilities. As I reflected on this, I could do no better or be any more articulate or convincing than a poem written by Rainer Maria Rilke. If you know that name, uh, then you might want to sit down for this one. Uh, Perhaps you know it. This is a poem written at the turn of the 20th century. I'll read it for us and what it means to live into what we know. God speaks to each of us as he makes us. Then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, send out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. 
Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by seriousness. Give me your hand. Here's why I think it matters right now that we talk about what it means to talk about Jesus. I was in the park near our place the other day, just at the corner of Barton and Wentworth, and there there lies a, a quite a big graffiti board that's for public use. And I noticed some stylized graffiti writing on it the other day that, that was new. It said in, in, in big letters, Hope is not cancelled. Hope will always find a way. Love has a name, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And what struck me about that was that there wasn't any graffiti on top of that graffiti. Like, scratching and saying, Jesus sucks, or screw religion, or any of the usual antagonism that we're used to seeing in our society. I think given everything going on in the world right now, people are actually hungry to know another way is possible and are willing to hear again the way of Jesus because nothing else seems to work. If we want to reimagine church, we can't afford to be passively watching what's going on in the world right now. The world doesn't have time for better morality that's just trying to improve our own lives. We've got to claim a Jesus whose death and life makes all the difference, that it touches everything in every way. The world needs a real gospel right now, real hope, real truth. People are tired of religious, religious rhetoric. They need to know grace and mercy and love that is offered to them without reserve, and they need to see it and hear it through your life. Pray and ask that God would show you people in your life who might be people of peace. Friends, families, neighbors, co-workers who are hungry and thirsty for something more. People who need to hear your story of who God has been to you. And I think at St. Clair, we need to see those who have the gift of evangelism, who just have this natural bent, this spirit-empoweredness to do this kind of stuff really well. We need them to lead us into new places and new conversations. And maybe it's time that we create space for things like Alpha, where we can welcome people in who are curious about Jesus. St. Clair, a few things before we part ways for today. One is that on our website uh, this week, we on the resource page, we added a, a new page uh, with resources related to racial injustice. So there we have uh, have begun to sort of build up a collection of podcasts and articles and recommended books and organizations to support and ways to pray. This is something that we will continue to add to, uh, but it's stuff that has helped inform um, our viewpoint and has been, um, these are good sources of wisdom. And so we recommend, uh, with so much out there, um, uh, these have been helpful to us and we hope that they'd be helpful to you. This conversation matters. 
worry we at St. Clair don't presume to be instant experts on the subject as so we're lurking looking to learn well so that we can respond well. And there's a group of people right now who are taking the lead on helping us through this. And so look for this week um, for more to be posted just as we continue to journey through what this means for St. Clair. Uh, like last week, as soon as this live stream is done, anyone is welcome to join in on a Zoom call for a kind of post-service hangout. We did a little experiment last week and there were 20 plus people who joined in a great conversation about the morning and had a chance to actually meet new people in our community. It was really great. Um, the link should be available on Facebook and the email that would have gone out this morning. Uh, maybe it could be posted on the YouTube thread here. Uh, but we'd love for you to be able to join us, especially uh, if it would give you a chance to say hello to some friends that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, and please mark Monday, June 22nd on your calendar. So in the evening, we are going to do a St. Clair annual family meeting. This originally was actually set to be in March, but then a few things happened. In, in, and so uh, we've now set that for June 22nd. And these have always been really important times for our community connecting together. It allows our leadership team to speak into where we're at and where we sense God is leading us. And there'll be a number of important updates <clears throat> that we don't want people to miss. <clears throat> Sorry. And so please join in on that. It will be a giant Zoom call. So anyone is welcome to join. All right, and let me send us with this as a as a blessing, as a benediction, as we go. This is comes from Second Corinthians five, so I'm just reading scripture for us here. Paul says this, and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. St. Clair, go in peace and be salt and light in this world as you speak the name of Jesus, that it would be a hope for many. Go in peace.